When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment... Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Alexis, codenamed Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. If you're hearing today's episode, the day it comes out, first, thanks as always for tuning in. Secondly, this is our weekly listener mail segment, where, as we always like to say, we hear from the very best part of the show, you specifically you. Uh, Transparency is important here at Stuff They Don't Want You to Know, so we do want to uh, do what corporate America calls getting in front of something uh, by being very clear with this. This listener mail segment is sponsored. This is sponsored content, hashtag sponsored, hashtag ad, uh, and so we are legally required uh, to play this at the very beginning of the episode. Um, This may be controversial to some people, but it's a company that we support wholeheartedly, and we hope that you can enjoy it. And they've always, over the years, supported us wholeheartedly, which uh, we appreciate, but sometimes it's a little sketchy as to what that means for us in our regular lives. It's uh, true. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's bite the bullet, get it over with, and then we'll be on with the show. 
Are you sick of sweating over a hot stove? Do you fancy some flavorful food and fast? Then look no further. Blubba Dubba Burger is back. With over a billion brand new locations and millions of mostly rehashed menu items. Try our Blubba Dubba Double Barbecue Bacon and Blue Cheese Burger, if you can manage to say it. And wash it down with a fabulously fake flavored soft drink, which will leave you feeling thirsty for more salty and sugary substances. Still not convinced? Stop by and check out the breathtaking views from one of our centrally located stores. The most prime real estate you've ever seen. Stop by a Blubba Dubba Burger near you, and we'll butter your bun and your fries for free for a limited time only. Blubba Dubba Burger, because bigger is always better. Blubba Dubba is a publicly traded holding company owned, operated, and overseen by Illumination Global and its entities. Well, we got through that part, folks. Uh, We know that sometimes ads can be a necessary evil, but if you, like us, are a fan of kick-ass podcasts, uh, then you may recognize a very familiar voice. Uh, Matt Knoll, I could swear, was that Alberto Alonso? Did you guys recognize that voice? The guy from FYI or For Your Inglés? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Am I crazy? Uh, no, I think that was him. <laughs> How does he find the time in between episodes of FYI? I have no idea. And also... Where'd he get that sick background music? I feel like I heard that in a Walmart in the 90s. (laughs) Uh, And I mean that in the best possible way. Well, if it is indeed you, Senor Alonso, uh, we want to thank you. Uh, You find the oddest voices in the oddest places. We would also like to urge everybody listening to search for a Blubba Dubba burger near you. As a matter (laughs) of fact, tell us if you find one. That's right. They have the best real estate, according to... Their own commercials. Yes, they do. They do. Uh, You could say that a Blubba Dubba Burger is as good as drugs, which used to be their old tagline, you know, before the war on drugs. I think that's when they retired it. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's the rumor, at least. You know, that's what I've heard. That's what that's what I have heard as well from uh, an anonymous source. Also, going back to the old joke. I can't be the only one who likes to imagine anonymous source is all the same dude. He's mm-hmm. just very busy calling in, writing in to every single thing. Uh, maybe the the anonymous sources we have quoted are all, in fact, the same person. And if so, kudos. Your time management is amazing. I'm picturing this individual wearing very large black thick-rimmed glasses and sporting a button-down white shirt and a pocket protector and perhaps some sort of visor like an accountant from the 40s. You know, I don't know why. This is just my mind is running wild with this. Yeah, maybe a, like a green visor. Green visor, exactly. Yeah, but why, though? Why the visor? That's what yeah, I'm I always to wondered that. Why did the, what, what were they getting out of that? And why the clear green visor? I mean, I guess if you're sitting in a, you know, a typewriter all day like that, maybe the the sun gets in your eyes and you need to, you know, cause you to lose focus and your word count will go down or number count. I don't know. Maybe the um, light overhead is glaring mm-hmm, mm-hmm, if it's electric mm-hmm. light. Could well be. Yep. Nobody likes uh, fluorescence. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people like drugs. No, that's, that's what we true. call a, a segue. <laughs> that's true. Our first piece of correspondence today comes from Brian S. Uh, Brian S. is writing to respond to a classic we recently re-aired called Legal Drugs in America. This was a deep cut. A lot of things have changed. 
this episode came out amid the originally came out amid the uh, opioid crisis, but before the Sackler family had really been connected to the nefarious and successful conspiracy to accelerate opium usage. Here's what Brian said, and we're we're going to we're going to share the the voices on this email because it, it's a little bit long, but we want to make sure uh, we get as much as possible in here. Brian, you said, hi, guys. I enjoyed your classic podcast about legal drugs in America and wanted to make a few comments as well as share some of my own experiences with healthcare, particularly, this is interesting, optometry. You mentioned the conspiracy theory that Big Pharma is fabricating illnesses to sell more drugs. Have you ever heard of restless leg syndrome? Oh, yeah. I watched 60 Minutes on Sunday evenings on CBS, and their advertising is dominated by Big Pharma with ads for medications to treat all kinds of illnesses. On a related topic, have you noticed how often women's bodies are used to sell stuff? Uh, the latest on 60 Minutes advertising is Ibrantz used to treat breast cancer. Yes, breast cancer is a valid disease to treat. Uh, a good friend of mine died recently from this illness. I noticed in the TV ad, they show a woman's stocking feet changing from one set of shoes to another. So they are using women's feet to sell breast cancer medication. I've also seen women's feet used to sell yogurt and some kind of, quote, natural <laughs> breakfast cereal, granola or something. Not that I mean to hit too hard on Big Pharma. They did rescue the world from COVID with the record-breaking speedy development of COVID vaccines. Give credit where credit is due. I don't know how much money they made in the deal, but they are capitalists, as am I. I don't fault them for making money. And to briefly summarize, Brian, you relate one of your own personal experiences with healthcare with uh, someone you describe as a particular optometrist quote, whose name I will not mention, end quote. Uh, and then you, you also go on to say that optometrists are now petitioning to be allowed to treat glaucoma, uh, which had previously been exclusively or solely the purview of ophthalmologists. And the difference there between an optometrist and an ophthalmologist, as you note, is that ophthalmologists are medical doctors. Optometrists are not. And what's interesting about this is that Brian goes on to relate his experience. He goes in for a periodic exam to get his new contact lens prescription. If you wear corrective lenses of any sort, you know you're supposed to go in every year. Uh, and he says this optometrist insisted on doing a battery of tests uh, that both he and possibly his insurance were charged for. One indicated what this optometrist called a pre-glaucomic condition, Brian didn't exactly agree with him, but knows he's not a medical specialist. And he said, based on the ambiguity of the data, the fact the test was done with inexperienced staff, uh, letting in stray light, corrupting test results, it seemed to Brian that this optometrist was attempting to successfully diagnose him with this condition. And when he said, hey, maybe I should see an ophthalmologist because glaucoma is serious, requires a specialist, uh, this optometrist said, no, I can treat you for this condition just fine on my own. Uh, and as he kept asking, the optometrist began to insist that he not see an ophthalmologist and sent him to another optometrist out of the way uh, where it turned out he had a financial interest in that second office. When he asked to see an ophthalmologist, when he pushed the issue and requested his medical records, kind of like how we talked about with dentistry, right? The mm -hmm. optometrist changed his tune 
and said, look, if you have to go to an ophthalmologist, it will really make you feel better. I have one to recommend you. And uh, then he didn't go with that recommendation. He went to someone else he chose. And it turns out he did not have a pre-glaucoma condition. When he told the optometrist that, the optometrist changed their tune and tried to gaslight him. And gaslighting is, you know, an incredibly common thing in any part of society. And he said, that's just what I said when Brian is pretty sure he said the opposite. So this all leads to the question of profit incentive to this bigger question of how much one can or should trust a medical professional. And this kept, I don't know about you guys, but this kept making me think of that episode on dentistry, you know, and and some of the hazards involved there. Uh, But it also made me think, just in the headline, the concept of large companies with a financial interest in, quote unquote, manufacturing the idea of a medical condition, an infection, or a disease. Noel, the part that you were reading about using feet to advertise something (laughs) is, it, it makes a kind of surrealist sense because while pharmaceutical companies can air television ads in two places in the world, U.S. and New Zealand, those ads uh, have a lot of restrictions, right? Because they have to be very careful not to overpromise, and that's why you'll see you'll see like these very airbrushed, laffy daffy people running around in a park kind of ads with very sedate, inspiring music for things like anti-depression medication. And the only way you can tell they're pharmaceutical ads is at the very end, they're like, be warned, happyatrin can cause the following conditions. And they're all horrific conditions. Yeah, sometimes they are even like death. I mean, or or like uh, internal bleeding. And they Hmm. they just like rattle them off one after the other. It's honestly a fun game to play because there's some go-to ones that me and my daughter always listen for. But it's become a thing of uh, real good parody fodder for sure. Well, mm-hmm. you'll also always hear, ask your doctor about mm-hmm. this drug. If so-and-so is right for you. Suggest to your doctor, the one who's going to prescribe drugs to you, that you be prescribed a drug. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not the best advice to treat your condition or what you perceive your condition to be, but ask your doctor because we're pretty sure we've got to them through a convention or through a pharma rep, something like that. And before we continue, this is a situation where we're pointing out real problems that occur, but that shouldn't be confused with throwing the entire industry under the bus because doctors are doing their best to save people's lives. Optometrists, ophthalmologists are doing their best to keep people's vision and their eyes healthy. When I think about the idea of manufacturing disease. I was surprised to find that this is a common accusation. There's even a term for it, disease mongering. Have you guys Mm. ever heard of that? Just from you right before we started recording, and I cannot wait to hear what this is because it's a very sinister sounding concept. I mean, it's the age old idea of capitalism just translated to the medical industry You know, it's easier to sell people something if you invent and control the perceived need for that product or service. So, like, if you can, and this happens a lot in the the world of beauty, right? If you can convince people that some specific part of their appearance is bad, verboten, or unacceptable, even if it's totally fine, then you as the entity selling the thing to fix whatever that is 
are, are going to make bank. It's all about winning the hearts and minds and publicly pressuring people. Can I tell you guys a quick story? Uh, I, I went to a spa recently for some self-care. You know how it is. Oh, yeah, dude. Um, I perused with the person at the front desk an entire wall of products, kind of like the ones you're describing here, Ben. And almost all of them were in the 30 to $50 range, which to my money was like, wow, these are all like face serums and all these things that I can't imagine why you would, you know, need to pay that much money for this tiny little vial of stuff. There was one in the very center that was $180 US. And it was as small as the other ones, a tiny little thing. And I I just asked her point blank, there's no way anybody walks in here and buys $180 worth of this stuff, right? And she said, that's actually one of our most popular products. And I just could yeah. not believe it. Yeah, my uh, my daughter's mom um, has a she's an esthetician um, and runs her own spa and makes her own skincare products. And she actually I wouldn't say she takes a loss, but she certainly does not uh, reap the same like insane markup kind of, you know, um, benefits that some of those larger companies do. She makes all this stuff out of products that are expensive, like essential oils are expensive and they're very potent. And um, she makes these different like skin serums and all that. But her whole deal is to try to make that stuff more accessible and more affordable. And whatever your feelings are and the you know efficacy of those kinds of products, uh, you're absolutely right, man. They can be incredibly expensive and also incredibly questionable as to whether they actually do what they're supposed to do or not. Yeah, and when we get to the idea, I mean, it's Machiavellian, but it's brilliant, the idea of inventing a need for a thing that you plan to sell as a solution, then the by far most well-known example of this theory is the concept of halitosis, which Mm. is the dressed-up name for bad breath. Everybody's (sighs) had swamp mouth at some point in their lives. And, uh, you know, this this can make a big difference in all sorts of things. First impressions, the way, I mean, we have to realize the human mind is very easily primed and skewed. Like, Matt, to your example, I would not be surprised if there was some active anchoring of prices there. So that $180 bottle of whatever will make a $60 bottle of something seem incredibly reasonable. A steal, oh, even. Right? Dude, they had it directly in the center of that. Mm that showcase so you know people's eyes go to it then they see the 60 dollars one dude you're so right ben well you're absolutely right man you've seen this going on i'm sure many other people have have clocked that same process disease mongering the phrase feels a little bit alarmist because what's happening here at least in the u.s is that marketing companies pharmaceutical companies when they're engaged in the research process research and approval to sell something they can't start advertising it until it's FDA approved because otherwise they're they're kind of overpromising or they they don't have quantitative proof of the efficacy of whatever product they're selling but this doesn't prevent these entities from raising awareness of the condition that they hope their product will treat in the future once it's approved and so this leads to a lot of distrust in the public and the sticky thing about it is that there is a there's a grain of truth to the story that we're going to learn in just the quick broad strokes most famous example historically of what would be called disease mongering is the idea that listerine invented the concept of bad breath and called it halitosis to sell more mouthwash it's brilliant if you think about it 
It's like up there with, um, what are those things called? You know, English professors wear them on their blazers. Elbow patches. Elbow pa- elbow patches. Yeah, I don't know why I missed that. But let's let's say like you got to sell elbow patches. And you say, okay, we can try to sell them the regular way all the live long day. But what if we convince people their elbows are bad and right. need to be hidden? Then, <laughs> then we're saving someone, right? We're not just selling them something extra. We're keeping their dirty elbows undercover where they belong, right? Uh, we'll call it, you know, weenus protection or whatever. This, this is the idea that Listerine did something like this. And the weird part is, it is partially true. Listerine was founded by a guy named Jordan Wheat Lambert. And in 1921, his son, George Lambert, coined the term halitosis to describe bad breath. But the thing is, bad breath was already around. Bad breath is a real thing. And it can be a sign, in some cases, of serious medical conditions. So sometimes disease awareness um, or, you know, raising a flag if you think something could become serious down the road is just preventative medicine, which everybody could use more of. Oh, yeah. Ben, you say coined the term. Does that mean it's not an official medical condition? You look at it online um, and it, it seems to encompass a lot of legitimate medical conditions like dry mouth and there's all kinds of symptoms, but it does seem like a pretty massive catch-all. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm wondering just what the uh, the expertise of the person that uh, quote-unquote coined this was or if this is something that's officially recognized now. Yeah, it's it's become kind of just a synonym for bad breath in general uh, to, a, to a big degree. And it was tied up in this massive advertising campaign. The Listerine company did run a very successful marketing campaign on halitosis, and it made a huge difference in the future of the company because beforehand they were just generally selling something uh, framed as treatments for injuries in the mouth. Uh, But when you call something halitosis, when you give it an official specific name, no matter how legit it is, then your product seems to have more credibility. But the truth is, that even though George Lambert took the Latin word for breath, <laughs> this, is, this is where it came from. This is the etymology. The Latin word for breath is halitus, and he combined it with the medical suffix osis. So it sounded more official. It sounded like something you would hear in med school, that it just means bad breath. It's kind of like haagen just Ooh. made up a word that they thought sounded fancy and European. Exactly. That's what I was asking. That's incredible. And also, doesn't mal- halitosis, if you've traced the etymology, basically just means like mouth condition. It, it's it it's just, not very specific at all. It literally just means breathosis. Mm-hmm. And, nice. And, and this, is, this is weird because there is, a, there is a grain of truth to this in that the term was invented, but the condition was not invented. And people who are, this may be worth a full episode because people who are saying that uh, these private entities are purposely trying to create the conditions they later purport to treat. And remember, you want to treat a condition. If you cure it, then you're getting rid of the people who will pay you more money in the future. This argument is maybe a little misleading because supporters of pharmaceutical companies and all the researchers who are working around the clock to cure very specific, sometimes life-threatening conditions are not flim flam artists. You know, they're not con artists. They're trying to help people. That's what the supporters would say in response to the opponent's arguments. I, I, we're not, I think, at the point where we can definitively 
say there are conspiracies afoot, but at the very least, halitosis is uh, brilliant marketing. It is a real condition. Bad, but that's like saying bad breath is a real condition. That's like saying weather is a real condition. There are a lot of different types of weather, right? So I'd be careful with those broad brushes. Agreed. I want to learn more about restless leg syndrome, or as Wikipedia states, Willis Ekbom disease. Because uh, I know that was mentioned by our emailer there, and I just don't know much about it, whether it's real or not. I know there's controversy. Mm-hmm. And maybe it is worth a full episode. We're going to pause for a word from another one of our sponsors. In the meantime, Brian, um, all in all, it's good news. Congratulations on not having symptoms of uh, insipid glaucoma. So let us know if you think uh, if you think some of these big players in the pharmaceutical industry are indeed generating medical conditions, or if you think this is a bunch of uh, kind of alarmist internet rumor mill stuff. One eight three three STD WYTK conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. We'll be right back. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, Podcast producer? Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy to use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 2424. Two four to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment... Oh my God, 
We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. And we are back. Now, long-time listener, as you are, you know that birds show up on this show all the time, whether it's because Noel loves them so very much, uh, Ben has a, you know, a relationship with certain raven, uh, is it murders of raven? No, murders of crows that exist around him uh, at all times, as we've talked about in previous episodes. Uh, we've also talked about how birds are not real is a thing that people believe now or pretend to believe for a joke. Well, I've got another story for you regarding birds, and it comes via a voicemail. So let's go ahead and take a listen. Hey, my name is James. I'm a long-time listener. Uh, I was listening to one of your strange news segments, the ones about the building collapse in Florida, and the. I, I just got to the part about how the birds are not real, and I wanted to let you guys know that I was in Arkansas several years ago when I was in college, and I was at a national park and was looking with a friend of mine up at these birds and pointing, and a park ranger pulled up and said, you think that's pretty cool, huh? I said, yeah, we're watching the birds. He said, watch this. And he went and got a remote control out of his truck, pressed a button on it, and the bird landed in front of us, and it was not a bird. It was a robot camera. True story. Awesome. Oh, boy. Awesome. And it was bound to happen. I mean, the you know, telephone towers or telecom towers are uh, sometimes disguised more and more often disguised to look like trees. It's true. It's true. And there's reason to want to have a robot camera bird or a drone that is shaped in bird form, taking bird form in some way or another. Um, at first, James, I want to say that I didn't believe you when I was just sitting there going through voicemails. I was like, yeah, OK, James is pulling our leg. He's trying to be silly. Uh, nope. No, you're not, James. And here's what we found. Uh, first of all, in 2018, there is reporting out of the South China Morning Post, as well as several other places that, that picked up the story, including CNET, that discuss in China a very specific program of bird drone surveillance. Sounds crazy. Sounds weird. Sounds like I'm saying some birds aren't real. That's what I'm saying at least in this part of China, where a group has been developing drones that I, I'll describe it to you. It looks kind of like a white dove, or at least somewhat like a white dove, though the wings are a bit strange. They're white with kind of a black outline to them. Do they and flap? They do. They flap. Do they sing uh, the um, song, Sounds Like They're Singing? Ooh, <laughs> baby, ooh, baby, ooh. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> they also cry a lot. Yeah, they, they'll uh, do that. They're very emotional creatures. <laughs> yes. Even the robot the ones. Describe part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, but they, they are real and they have been used. There are other versions of drones, not just that one specifically. That one was posted. A picture of that type of bird drone was posted in the South China Morning Post. And the article's title there is China takes surveillance to new heights with flock of robotic doves. But do they come in peace? Uh, no, of course they don't. There's a paywall there if you want to get to it and watch it. 
I highly recommend you look for it on CNET because it is free if you are within the United States. Now, that's just one thing uh, that you can look up right now. You can learn about it. It seems really strange. According to that article, there are more than 30 Chinese uh, military and government agencies using drones that specifically look like birds. Again, not just this model. Now, then I thought, okay, well, that's that's one story about it. Maybe that's the only drone bird business going right now. Uh, Nope, not at all. Oh, boy. (sighs) Okay. So then you head on over to SUAS News. The, it's called The Business of Drones. I did not know much about this place. It says it is for drone drivers by drone drivers since 2008. Love it. A, yep. And in here, you will find an article called Unobtrusive Surveillance with Drone Bird. And on this one, you will see a seagull looking fellow. That is actually a drone with a propeller on the back with wings. Uh, These wings do not flap. They're more they're more like the wings of an airplane, but it does have a propeller on the back and it looks exactly like a seagull. It sure does. You showed us this video uh, yesterday um, in preparation for today's recording. And it also has this like I think it's kind of a sound alike, but it's this massive 80s shred, like highway to the danger zone type soundtrack. And the part where they launch the bird is when the guitar solo kicks into full gear. And it's very inspirational and terrifying. I think also, I I don't know about anybody else, uh, but I I had a better initial experience than the average viewer because I was lucky enough uh, to, to hear you, Matt, narrating this with some awesome VO that was so good. That until I directly looked back at the away from the video at the zoom screen, I I thought it was part of the video. I didn't know it was you just kind of freestyling. I don't know. I remember I asked you if you had practiced or written it down beforehand, but you have a gift, my friend. It was very impressive. It was very impressive. I was just reading the titles that they put on the screen (laughs) and because it is an impressive little promotional video for this company titled the drone bird company. Yeah. Well, They've got a lot going on. You can't <laughs> spend like a day out of the week just figuring out the name. Drone Bird Company. It does what it says. That's exactly right. Uh, and you can go to it. You can go to their website, thedronebird.com. You can go there right now and you can watch the videos we are talking about. All you have to do is click on the title that says Unobtrusive Surveillance. Ooh. Yikes. The video's at the top, too. The videos at the top. I want to read a little bit for you from this website. We are not sponsored by the Drone Bird Company. Uh, we are fascinated by them. I am. They are a Dutch technology company, and they develop bird-shaped drones, like you said, Ben, what it says. And they develop both fixed-wing bird drones, like the one we described that looks like a seagull, and flapping bird drones that the wings actually move and they do it for a really interesting purpose. One of the initial reasons they started making these was for airports. Why would you want to have a drone that's shaped like a predator bird at an airport? Scare away the prey birds. That's right. The ones that, what do they call it? The ones that bird the planes, Yes, (laughs) whatever they call them, the ones that end up in engines and and Mm -hmm. destroy an engine and may hurt people or live inside airports, infiltrate them like the Detroit airport uh, for the longest time had this thing 
I think out of the four of us, maybe Doc, you've been to the Detroit airport most recently, but they, uh, for a long time, there used to be these birds that, these tiny little birds that would live around this fountain in a central area, right next to a little coffee place. It was great to watch them, but airport security obviously didn't like it. So maybe those drone birds, uh, maybe they're deployed there to stop <laughs> people from having a peaceful freaking moment in the airport, which is a stressful place. <laughs> anyway, I've got I've got a little editorial bias, but Matt, you're absolutely right. It makes sense, doesn't it? It's it's um it's an airborne scarecrow in a yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. Airborne scarecrow. And you do need, or at least you did need a drone driver, a pilot of the drone, to actually, you know, sit there with with physical controls and aim the bird and have it fly where you want it to fly. There are now autonomous versions of several of these drone types that can fly around for quite a while up in the air. And I don't know why that makes it freakier to me. I think in both instances, it's a bit freaky to me. But knowing that there's possibly a bird up there that is operating on its own that is not real and can see me, I don't know. That kind of weirds me out. And I can see why this would be disturbing to many other people because they're not just used for those purposes for clearing out airports and other places where you don't want birds, maybe in, on crops and things like that. They're also used for legit surveillance. So I'm going to continue reading from the Drone Bird Company's About page. They also have this fixed wing goal model, and it is the most ideal drone, according to their website, for, quote, covert surveillance, reconnaissance, and other types of monitoring. This is because it is virtually undetectable and indistinguishable from the real thing for both humans and animals. Aves, which is their line of, of bird drones that have fixed wings, Aves is quickly gaining interest from police, special forces, secret services, and military services from all over the world because of the unique flying platform. Um, and here's the thing. It's not just seagulls. It's just not it's not just certain types of birds. They are developing all kinds of shapes and sizes of birds to mimic all kinds of different species, depending on where they're operating. So whatever the biome supports, whatever, you know, is extant already in an area, they've got a, quote, modular payload for you. Even flightless wow. birds, kiwis, ostriches, emus, jubils. Ooh, now that. That's a different type of drone, we'll my friend. Start to deploy those in malls. It's the hopper. Yeah. <laughs> that patrolling the marsh, you know? Oh, like, uh, <laughs> terrifying, dude. This I do not like this dystopian future that you are describing, Matt, which is apparently now. It's, yeah. <laughs> Shoe bills can fly. They're just not very good at it. I should point that out in case the people at the drone bird company are listening. I do, I do have some questions, though. Yes. Like, this could easily work with something like facial recognition because you just need the camera and as long as you have a reliable feed to the ground, then you can set up all the heavier stuff. But remember when we talked about the experiments in wiring animals' brains to pieces of technology, like you uh, you have rats that can respond to certain stimulus and have the, or stimuli and then have a, a contraption of some sort, human-made, uh, ape the same actions. I wonder if 
I don't think this would be useful. I think they've nailed the stuff that is useful for their purposes, but wonder if it would be possible to kind of make an avian version of the matrix. You know what I mean? Put a literal bird brain, uh, wire it up, and then have it flying one of these kinds of, of drones. Mm. What? Maybe. That's crazy to, to consider. I will say we probably aren't quite in the dystopian future that I so desperately fear because the battery life for these things is still a very underwhelming hour and a half. Yeah, it tops, right? Yeah. It's yeah. true. It's true. It's an hour and a half. But wouldn't it be suspicious if you saw a bird flying around for 10 hours? I mean, it's actually perfect cover. Yeah, very few people pay that level of attention to their surroundings. <laughs> well, well, somebody that you're going after probably does. Okay, fair. good point. <laughs> very good point. There's probably some kind of uh, stronghold out in the hinterlands of uh, a relatively lawless place. And they 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 probably got a bird guy. They got a guy <laughs> who comes in and just says like, all right, I just want everybody to know there is something up with that sparrow. Yeah. I mean, it's making a buzzing noise right. when it gets a little closer. And I can't quite put my finger on it, but it's it, weird. It keeps sparking when it lands on that <laughs> high tension wire. Um, I got, I got to ask though, Matt, like, I don't want to harp on this battery life thing, but for true surveillance, this doesn't seem very efficient. An hour and a half isn't a lot of time. What do you have another one ready to deploy in its place? And then you charge the original one. I mean, I imagine they would take a long time to charge as well, but uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. And I don't know how much these cost. You can contact the company through their website and ask them about it. That means uh, it's expensive. It uh, means it's very expensive. <laughs> um, but. You know, it, and it, well, here's the other thing, range, right? Battery life and range. Those are the two metrics you're looking for in a drone. And according to their website, the one that I was looking at, I think it's the Loris, part of the Aves series, uh, it, it has a range of 40 kilometers, which is pretty good of an area to cover. And remember, in that 40 kilometers, you're getting, you're getting a camera feed, just a regular old HD signal kind of thing. You're getting infrared feeds night vision and night vision infrared. And you're also able to track the drone wherever it is from, from the ground base, wherever you are, it's got telemetry on there and you could really see everything you need to as a surveillance mechanism. They currently are not armed, so that's good. They're not going to leave droppings that are explosive, <laughs> uh, at least yet, but I could totally see that happening. Why not? I mean, Oh, you could do. Well, the thing is, the thing that's tricky about range, because we have to remember, these are just these are electric vehicles. They're scary, but they're still electric vehicles, is that that 40 kilometer range is not uh, is not round trip. Right. So really, we're talking about um, 20 kilometers if you want them to make it back. Right. Am I reading that correctly? Well, I correct me if I'm wrong. Drone operators out there. I think that means the range from from which you can operate it from whatever station or wherever mm, you're located. Got it. I okay. think that's what that means. Maybe no, that I'm completely sense. off base. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, because you'd need some kind of repeater signal to extend it then. Mm-hmm. Okay. But it, it, they can get up to 10,000 feet. That's the height where they can get up to. Isn't that illegal, according to the FAA? Doesn't that uh, breach some sort of limit set for drone use? I don't know. 
Uh, we've talked I, about it. There is a limit. I just don't FAA. remember. Yeah, yeah I don't remember either. Um, I mean, just because it can do it doesn't mean you, you should do it. So I'm not saying that that's what they're implying. But, yeah, it's weird, man. You see the video. I highly recommend watching the video, if only for the soundtrack. Uh, and, of course, the creepy robot birds. But um, they're just kind of hovering around, very innocuous. Uh, we were playing it for uh, Doc, um, or, or she was on with us, and she literally chimed in and asked if it was a joke because it seemed like it was a joke. Uh, largely, I think, thanks to the amazing, schmaltzy soundtrack but it just seemed like based on all these conversations we had around fake birds that maybe someone was like you know pulling our leg but no it's very much a product uh altitude is limited to 400 feet for private drone operators by the faa but this feels like their business model for the bird drone company is to sell to people who can get around that sort of law or it doesn't apply to them i'm sure if an airport uses it then they would have different different standards. But again, it's a brave new world. Not sure how it would work. I am almost certain though, if you had to guess, I I am almost certain that the solution to the lower end of the battery life is to just make it look like a nest, right? And just make it look like a wireless charging. Like, like, like literally like those things you put like pads, you put your iPhone down on and it charges it. The bird goes and nests for a while and reach that's brilliant ben wow you do you cracked it my friend i think the people who actually are doing this probably already figured that out right years ago <laughs> well it, it, it is a weird situation though they launch from this little catapult system mm-hmm. and then they get and it's, it's not like very a, high it's like a slingshot right it's almost like a slingshot mm-hmm. like they pull it back and release it and then it shoots and then it kind of takes wing yeah and but then when it returns it comes right back to where it took off from where it took off if it's in autonomous mode, he, I was wrong, Ben. It is a 15 kilometer op- operational radius. So 15 kilometers from wherever your control station is. So then that 40 kilometers, uh, I guess, is how far it can travel. Maybe you're right. I just don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Well, uh, it would be great for us to have one to test out. Just putting that out in the universe. Is yeah. it with Avis? Avis? Uh, the drone bird company. Oh, the drone. Sorry, the drone. But the, the model, the seagull one is the, the model is a- Avis, I believe, right? Yeah. A- is it, how do you say it? Aves? Avis? Avis? Avis. There you go. That makes sense. Like Avis. Bird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Avian. Uh, yeah. They have, oh, God, it's tough, guys. It's crazy. Uh, we are, we're going over time. We're going to stop now and go to a commercial. Watch the skies because the birds are mostly real for now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand Tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. 
This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, and we're back with one final uh, listener mail uh, from you. Uh, the most important part of the show. This one comes to us from our amazing listener, AM, resident of Earth. And it is in reference to, uh, I think it was something that we followed up on in our most recent Strange News episode that was also a reaction to a previous uh, listener mail. So it's full circle here. Um, but this is about, about drugs and about um, the idea of adulterance in certain street drugs and why that might be. And uh, AM, resident of Earth, clued us into a really interesting economic concept called the Iron Law of Prohibition. So here we go. Hi, folks. Feel free to use this on the air. I hope I'm not kicking off infinite recursive listener mail inception, which is what I was just describing. Uh, on a recent listener mail segment, you pondered why anyone would add fentanyl to heroin. The reason may be counterintuitive at first glance. The very fact that narcotics are prohibited encourages the use of ever more concentrated and dangerous forms. This is called the Iron Law of Prohibition and has been well documented in a variety of circumstances. The 10-second explanation is that the more fiercely a prohibition is enforced, the harder it is to move large volumes of illegal substances. To adapt, bootleggers traffic in more potent drugs to make them easier to hide. Uh, carfentanil is approximately 4,000 times as potent as heroin. To conceptualize the difference, consider sugar. A sugar cube is 4 grams, while the standard grocery store bag of sugar is 4 pounds, or just under 2,000 grams. 
if used to smuggle heroin disguised as eight sugar bags through the airport, you can now smuggle carfentanil uh, disguised as a single very deadly sugar cube. The only problem is that drug dealers are sometimes not good at math, so diluting the street strength sometimes goes wrong. The same thing has been said with other prohibitions. For example, people moved moonshine instead of beer during the United States alcohol prohibition because it's hard to hide a cask of beer in your pants. Uh, Fair point. AM (laughs) resident of Earth. Um, I think this is fascinating, and it seems so obvious now when we have these issues. I mean, the, the intent is not to kill your customers. The intent is to um, make the ever-increasingly risky business of moving large quantities of drugs um, more worth it more worth the time and effort. So the idea is to make your drugs more and more potent uh, and occupy smaller and smaller packages. Um, It's just the same reason tale as old as as time, you know, cutting drugs with, you know, things like baby laxative or whatever to increase your yield. But the idea, if you're using something like fentanyl, is to get addicts to be more addicted and also to add a little extra zip, you know, to the, what they're buying to keep them coming back for more. Um, you know, if you're, if you're continuing to dilute the strength of your drugs, you know, maybe people will move on to somebody else who sells something that's stronger, or, you know, more, uh, more potent. Um, but this idea of the iron law of prohibition is absolutely fascinating to me. Guys, had you heard about this concept before? Yeah, but in a, um, it was a tangential mention in a paper I was reading, but I was surprised to find, although folks had observed it in the past, like dating back, you know, into as early as the opium wars, the term itself is relatively recent. I want to say it's more from the U.S., the heyday of the U.S. war on drugs in the in the 80s. I think that's right. I think that's right. Um, I, I found a similar a paper, like, and I just wanted to read the abstract for it. Uh, Today's fentanyl crisis, Prohibition's Iron Law Revisited by Leo Boletsky um, and Corey S. Davis. And here's the abstract. I think this does a really good job of summing this up. More than a decade in the making, America's opioid crisis has morphed from being driven by prescription drugs to one fueled by heroin and increasingly fentanyl. Drawing on historical lessons of the era of national alcohol prohibition highlights the unintended but predictable impact of supply-side interventions on the dynamics of illicit drug markets. Under the iron law of prohibition, efforts to interrupt and suppress the illicit drug supply produce economic and logistical pressures favoring ever more compact substitutes. This iatrogenic, new word on me, uh, progression towards increasingly potent illicit drugs can be curtailed only through evidence-based harm reduction and demand reduction policies that acknowledge the structural determinants of health. So essentially, prohibition uh, while its intent, I suppose, is to protect people from themselves or from, you know, drugs, uh, the fact of the matter is, um, and I read this in, in an article, I can't remember exactly which one, but uh, a really great point was that if you're someone who already uses drugs and you're already using cocaine or heroin or any what you consider like hard drugs, um, you're going to find it. Prohibition isn't keeping you from finding these drugs. But as we've heard, uh, prohibition has literally created a situation where these drugs are ever, ever more likely to actually kill you. 
dead instead of just making you a, a drug addict, um, which obviously is a horrible thing and has implications on people's lives and families and all kinds of ripple effects. But, uh, you know, you can get help for being an addict. You can't get help from being dead. Um, so this is definitely something that's been used in the argument to um, legalize all drugs because the argument would be made like if someone has made it to, you know, a certain point in their life without using cocaine or heroin or, or crack or whatever other hard drugs. Do you really think making it legal is going to have them all of a sudden be like, you know what? You know what? I think I should try heroin, you know, because it's legal now and I can just pop down to the store and try me some heroin. I would certainly be interested in hearing folks' opinions on whether that's oversimplifying it. Um, but it certainly seems pretty accurate to me. If someone's made it, you know, to their to middle age without trying any of these drugs, they're around, you know, um, cocaine in particular. I mean, it's almost like socially acceptable in certain circles. It's like a party drug. Heroin, less so. But if you've made it to a certain age without trying cocaine, chances are it being legal all of a sudden isn't going to make you be like, gosh, try me some cocaine today. Um, what do you guys think? I mean, uh, the argument for prohibition literally being a negative towards people's health when it comes to using these drugs. Prohibition is absolutely a negative toward people's health. I don't, I don't think there's a, there's a way to, there's a way to argue against that that would not be purposely misleading or in, or in bad faith. You could say that, of course, uh, there are a lot of complicating factors if all drugs were recreationally legal in the U.S. Um, I think more people probably would try them at some point. There would certain that they may be nudged to do it. Everybody, check out our episode on advertising because if it becomes recreational, there will be a move to push it. And then also, the expenses that are wrapped up in the current healthcare system of the U.S. would lead to people not being able to afford treatment if they went into this thing. So I think there's definite um, sand to the argument that prohibition does have a negative impact on people's health. I mean, you know, everybody seems to forget that the U.S. knowingly poisoned alcohol during the age of booze prohibition. Exactly. And people Great died points. from it. So well, what, what I, was the substance, yeah. Ben, that they spiked it with? It was like, a, oh gosh, it was like a fuel of some kind, or it was something that was like a solvent, and they were using it to, you know, cut the, the moonshine or the real hard stuff they had, which again, was only more in play than beer because more potent, they could move larger quantities of it and make more bang for their buck. But it was something like um, ethanol. Wasn't it ethanol or methanol? Something like that. That was like, literally they were cutting it with it and it was killing people dead. Yeah. I think the idea was they could make a law that would require. So a lot of bootleg booze was, if I recall this correctly, uh, made from industrial alcohol. Right. And, the government of the U.S. at the time said, okay, the way we're going to get people to stop stealing industrial alcohol to make rot gut whatever is to create a law that says if you are using or producing industrial alcohol, you have to add the following toxic things to it, uh, these substances that we know will hurt people. That's and right. The, and the reasoning was um, – the reasoning was that this would mean people would know about this because it was a law, it was easily available, it wasn't a secret, and that that would be enough to warn people off the sauce. But that's part of why I appreciate your earlier point so much when you said, you know, if someone is addicted to something or if they very much want to find it, then they will find a way to, to obtain it. 
I'd forgotten that it was literally the government spiking the stuff to create like chaos essentially, or to create as some misinformed like PR campaign, like, see, see, we told you booze was bad for you. Yeah. That's because you poisoned it. You jerks. I think it was methanol. Yeah. Methanol. That's exactly right. And people who are used to drinking or, you know, also people who made their tremendous fortunes from drink, uh, from selling illegal booze, uh, were not deterred. But, but again, it's, it's a, it's such a complex issue. The iron law of prohibition is a real thing. And, and I think it's something that smugglers have been aware of for, for a long, long time before, before there was a lot of scholarly analysis, um, Put to it, but Matt, what do you what do you think about this? What's your take in general on the idea that prohibition might accelerate some of, or exacerbate some of the problems it seeks to solve? Well, it's weird. Um, you guys know this. I I don't smoke weed, and a lot of the people around me in my life do, and uh, it's it's a weird feeling to exist in society when there's a legal drug that is just uh, assumed to be normal and regular and fine, but you choose not to do it. Uh, it it's a, it creates a weird feeling in you. Uh, you know, it's just like social pressures and things like that. Um, and I'm wondering, I, I was trying I've literally this whole time been, been thinking of like, is there any kind of argument for a prohibition, like for prohibition of anything like the parental move of no honey, you can't have that, you know? Um, I honestly can't think of one, but I'm just, I was just, Sorry, I've been ruminating on that a lot, just trying to imagine what that would be. Um, and I'm thinking about a a kid at a, you know, if you're a parent and cookie, like you talk about it as cookies, like uh, cookies, you can have cookies whenever you want them. Here's the cookie jar. It's right here. You take a cookie whenever you want. That kind of scenario versus a kid that really wants cookies, but you just never have any in the house. If you say you can never, ever have cookies and you go through your whole life wondering what cookies are like and seeing everyone else enjoying cookies, by the time you maybe step out on your own, you might be cookie mad and eat mm -hmm. so many cookies that you, you know, like uh, OD on cookies. You know, I'm not saying that like parents should like, you know, encourage moderation when it comes to drug use or whatever. But I do think having open conversations and, and educating uh, is, is a lot better than fear mongering and, and, and damning, you know, people mm -hmm. that like, say, have legitimate addiction problems and the idea of stigmatizing addicts versus looking at them as people that could use some help. And I really do think with all this spade of all this fentanyl crap and, you know, ending up in so much of the street supply of stuff, it really does hammer home how dangerous that is. Not to mention the black market that's created by all this. This is to oversimplifying a tad, but I don't think too much is what leads to all these like drug cartels and all of these like insane drug wars. And I mean, the war on drugs is a failure. <laughs> Everyone knows that. Um, but I'll tell you where the real war for drugs is, is, you know, and in, in these countries where people are literally being decapitated and, you know, just living in fear because of these drug cartels that like, you know, have this iron hold. And if they didn't have the market of the United States, uh, they wouldn't have as much of a stronghold, I would argue. I don't think it would like dismantle them instantly or anything, but it certainly would put a dent in their business. Well, also the war on drugs in many ways is a bad faith argument, by which I mean the people pushing the war on drugs were often in the U.S. Uh, dog whistling 
racism. Yes. Dog yes. whistling being a term meant to uh, imply something to a receptive audience in such a way that the person saying it can deny that they were supporting some kind of, you know, in this instance, racist cause, but the intended audience clearly understands the signals yes. being sent. And, and it's impossible to separate the two. This, this is the other thing, like to your example, Matt, about how would we handle this kind of stuff? We, what we do know as a civilization overall is that many of the approaches have not worked. You know what I mean? The prohibition of marijuana was wrapped up in in racism, very much so. And the idea that, oh, and then fellow graduates of the D.A.R.E. program, we've talked about this on air. How effective was it for your later recreational drug experiments? How effective was it uh, in deterring you when the local law enforcement officers opened up that little suitcase or little science fair tripod of various drugs, passed it around the room, told you what they were, what they contain, how they're made and how people use them. And then kind of added, you shouldn't do it. We've talked about this, but in yeah. my mind, I was like, I want to try that one and that one and that one looks cool. And ooh, that's a neat color. You know, I mean, yeah. it was a weird flex that they did that, you know, I, uh, I want to point you guys to everyone listening to an episode of the show Psychoactive. And I think it's the latest one as we record this episode seven, I believe you'll you'll find it. It's an interview with the former president of Colombia, Juan Manuel Santos, and he discusses a lot of what we're talking about today. Like how do you handle this, you know, so-called war on drugs inside a country where where many of the drugs historically were originating, or at least one of the avenues through which these drugs traveled? Um how do you do that as a president of a country? How do you stop it without declaring war on, you know, the citizens of your country that are making money and are running businesses? It just happens to be contrary to the laws. It's yeah, it's a really fascinating interview. Former uh, Bolivian president Evo Morales had uh, some some similar things to say. And there's there's another argument here that I think extends as well to um to places like Afghanistan or the Golden Triangle, uh, where you know so much opium is produced, the thing that people sometimes forget is that every other person living on the planet is pretty much like you in that they want to have an okay life, they want to provide for their family, they want to avoid terrible things happening. These are three very understandable things. And so if you are, for instance, uh, living in a very economically depressed area, and you have no, you know, like no means of income other than like the reason some agricultural programs of the U.S. have failed things where they say, hey, we'll give you another crop to grow. That's not this this crop that uh, uh, can be turned into an illegal drug. The reason those fail is because economically they're not as profitable. That's just that's morality aside. That is one of the big answers, and it's an answer that would have to be addressed because you're telling there are some situations where you are you forcing or mandating someone to do that. You are effectively telling them, hey, we have problems with people you have never met, you will never meet, and we want you to put your own livelihood in danger for those people. That's a tough question to ask. It's something that I think bears diving into. I mean, 
prohibition is itself uh, the subject of of a future show. I mean, and, and it's a topic of extreme, extreme importance. I love what you guys pointed out about the uh, vilification of people who are struggling with substance abuse, which is itself, that vilification is a profitable thing for certain entities. There's no way around that. And I would also question the idea of making all drugs instantly legal because again, just to emphasize this point again, what would happen is that private entities who are selling those drugs would be able to apply enormous, not just peer pressure, Matt, but enormous social pressure on people. Just the way cigarettes became so popular. Uh, marketing can be used insidiously. And then you might have people trying drugs they would ordinarily never try. There might be a happy pharmaceutical ad. If we want to bring it full circle, happy pharmaceutical ad. You're, just, you're looking at somebody's feet. Somebody's dancing around in a picnic, right? And then there's like, there's like people high-fiving and then, you know, fade out from the sedate music. And it's like a bird and it's a drone (laughs) all of a sudden. (laughs) And it's dropping off, not cocaine, but cocaine esterol. (laughs) (laughs) And it as it drops it down, there's just a blubba dubba burgers wrapper at the bottom. Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah, Sad. Sad. But a very important point, you know, and I'm, I'm glad that this is something people are talking about. So thank, I mean, thanks to resident of earth. Like this is, this is an issue that has not gone away and won't go away. And the one good thing we can say is I believe I like to think, I don't know about you guys, but I like to think that the majority of people who are exploring various facets of this issue are doing this with good intentions. I like to think that. Absolutely. And we would love to hear your thoughts on all of these issues. Whether it be weird bird drones and their future uses and how this affects you on a visceral level like it does me um, or your feelings on drug prohibition. Uh, Is it working? Does it work? Is there an argument to be made for legalizing all drugs? And additionally, what's your what's your take on the idea of, quote unquote, disease mongering? Do you believe that some private pharmaceutical companies have genuinely attempted to exaggerate or create medical conditions? Or is that all alarmist? Is that ignoring the the struggle of solid uh, and quite complicated science? We'd love to hear from you. And equally importantly, how do you like your Blubba Dubba burger? Let us know. We try to be easy to find online. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube at Conspiracy Stuff, on Instagram at Conspiracy Stuff Show. If you don't like that social media stuff, though, it is very cool. And I actually went on our Twitter account for the first time in a long time, Ben and Noel. Uh, It was really great. Scrolled through for a long time. Just awesome people on Twitter. At least the ones talking to us. Thank you. And if you don't want to do that stuff, go ahead and give us a call. We have a phone number. That's right. The number is one eight three three S T D W Y T K. Leave a message of the sound of Ben's uh, greeting. Um, you've got three minutes to tell us your tale or your comment or whatever, and uh, make sure to let us know what to call you. Nicknames are fine. First names are fine. Anonymous is fine. And let us know if it's okay to use your voice on one of these very listener mail episodes. Uh, and if you don't want to do that, we have another way to contact us where you can just spill your guts to your heart's content. It is a good old fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com.
Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment... Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.